Welcome to Thoughtfully Mindless. My guest in this episode is Michelle Steiner. Michelle is a disability writer, speaker, photographer, and paraeducator. She opens up about her personal experience living with a learning disability, which was diagnosed in kindergarten. Despite facing numerous challenges in her educational journey, Michelle's resilience and self-advocacy shine through. Her blog, Michelle's Mission, not only showcases her artistic talents, but also offers a heartfelt glimpse into life with a learning disability. I hope you enjoyed the interview, and with that, let's welcome Michelle. Michelle, thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Artie. I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. So to get started, you you have a disability, and you are a disability writer, speaker, photographer, and paraeducator. Um, what part of your story would you like to start with? I think I can start with my story at the beginning. Okay. Whenever I, I was first diagnosed with having a learning disability, whenever I was in kindergarten, I was my parents' first child, so they didn't have a lot of knowledge to base on child development. And my kindergarten teacher saw that I was really struggling in uh, the classroom with counting and tying my shoes and visual perception. And she, she suggested to my parents that I get tested for having a learning disability. And sure enough, uh, after all the testing, they, ha- they determined that I definitely had a learning disability. And at that age, it was not a specific learning disability. It was more of an umbrella term um, that I had one. And I can remember I uh, they knew I wasn't going to be a mathematician. That's the first thing we figured out with having a, a math-based learning disability. And I can remember I had to repeat kindergarten the following year in a different school and I also received, began to receive specialty instruction. And I can remember it was school was always really a struggle for me, uh, socially and academically. I The bullying began pretty early because uh, the school that I went to was very small, didn't value a lot of diversity, and I couldn't run or hide. Everybody knew that I went to uh, a resource room for specialty instruction and accommodations. Eventually, I was in regular ed classes uh, in all areas except for math in a resource room. And I had accommodations such as having the test read aloud to me and having extra time on tests, along with having the specialty instruction. That was another accommodation. And I was really lucky that a lot of the, uh, the accommodations worked for me. And school got a lot easier uh, for me academically. As I went through uh, my grades, I had better grades. I was a little more confident in myself in a lot more areas. Socially, it got a lot harder because peer groups became more defined. And I just didn't really feel like I fit in with anybody. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we were deciding to do at the end was I, I knew that I wanted to go on to college after high school. And I was doing a lot better, but I still had some reservations. I was still a little nervous about a lot of things. I knew math was going to be the big challenge. And I was wondering how I was even going to do in my other classes, because while I was doing good, I was making honor roll. I just wonder, can I really handle a lot of that? 
And I wasn't alone in this uh, concern. I had a learning support teacher that thought I could not handle math college because of my math disability. And she recommended uh, a vocational training school while I was in high school. And there was nothing there that really interested me. So I decided to go a different route. I uh, met up with an agency called Office for Vocational Rehabilitation. And they, uh, you know, said, okay, college, well, uh, maybe community college would be a good place for you to start uh, and get accommodations while you're there. I didn't have a lot of advanced placement classes, so I couldn't take SATs, but they said a lot of universities look at how well you did at community college. And I had a student teacher that encouraged me. She told me, you can go to college, you know how to study. And, and she told me about students that she went to school with that had learning disabilities and were on campus. And I was like, wow, I, I did never knew that. And uh, right before I had to um, go to college and I was going to be receiving disability accommodations and, and services, I had to be tested again for having a learning disability. And I can remember the psychiatrist, I've never been a great test taker, and the psychiatrist, uh, my scores came really low, and the psychiatrist told me that most likely I would not go beyond a community college. Hmm. And when I got to community college, it was difficult. There was still that stigma that using disability accommodations was cheating and or giving me an unfair advantage. And I also had an advisor that told me, well, with your math disability, you're going to have really limited job choices. And they kind of discouraged me from even being in the, the department. And I didn't use accommodations and my grades dropped. And that was a really big mistake. I just, and everybody was telling me, well, you need to try harder. Or if you wanted to do this, then you need be, you, you'd be more motivated. And I was doing the best I could, but with not having those accommodations, it really um, hurt me a lot. And I can remember I was, there was a class I was struggling with. It was an, a science class. And I can remember I was talking to the professor in the class and she said, you know, you might want to get some extended test time. And I went, took her advice, got the extended test time. I was able to pass her class. I did not do well in it, but I passed it. And I was able to use accommodations in other courses and I was able to graduate with my associate's degree in early childhood education. I eventually moved out on my own. And that was a really big thing because uh, another part of my disability is I can't drive because of my visual perception that's in my brain, not in my eyes. And I had that independence to be able to go where I needed to go. And I was working some temp jobs, but I always wanted more for myself. And I guess be careful what you wish for, <laughs> because due to financial reasons, I had to move back in with my parents and my job was downsizing. And I found a program at the university. I thought, I'm going to give this a try. It had the least amount of math and science possible. And it had disability accommodations and a program that I wanted to do. And this time I went in and I was able to focus on school. I wasn't focused on working like I did when I was at community college. And I used the accommodations. I had a note taker. I had extended test time and tutoring when I needed it. But most importantly, I advocated for myself. I would go up to my professors when I started a new course and I introduced myself and said that I was going to need 
uh, these services because I had a learning disability. Most of my professors got it. Uh, you always have one or two that didn't quite get the memo, but <laughs> we were able to work with them. And the stigma still was uh, surrounding people who use disability accommodations. But I learned to just silence that and focus on what I needed to do. And using them made all the difference. I was able to make Dean's List for a semester. And I graduated with a bachelor's degree, despite being told that I wouldn't be able to do this. And after school, it took me a while to be able to find the right job. Today, I work with students that have disabilities in a school as a paraeducator. And I'm also a disability writer and photographer with my own blog called Michelle's Mission. Writing has always been healing for me. I can remember it's one of the first things I found out that I was really good at. I never thought that I had a lot of talent, but then in second or third grade, uh, my dad saw a story that I wrote about a dinosaur and said, hey, this is pretty good. And that just encouraged me to write more stories. And I later had a friend in a writing group that really encouraged me to write about having a learning disability. And I thought, oh, no, that's too personal and wrote some really bad poetry and some other stuff that I would not want to read today. <laughs> I don't even know if I could revise some of that. But <laughs> when I finally took her recommendation and I had my first article published on The Mighty about my struggle with limited hand dexterity, that was a condition we didn't find out until I was older. It was one of the most healing things that I've ever done. And it encouraged me to write more. And I got other articles published, and I also developed a love for photography and taking pictures on my walks that because I can't drive, I get to view things from the passenger seat, and I also get a chance to uh, take pictures on walks. And I combine my love of writing and my love of photography, and I put them on my blog to talk about life with a learning disability. And I have a little store where people can purchase uh, my artwork. And I have a disability forum where people can connect. That's awesome. Um, with your schooling earlier, well, first of all, so the disability, uh, you, they didn't know the name of it at first. I saw somewhere, I think it was on a podcast that you were on it. Uh, they use the word dyscalculia. Yes, dyscalculia or dyscalculia. Okay. But they didn't give the, the name at that time. They didn't give specific learning disabilities unless you had dyslexia. And I don't have dyslexia, but I do have a learning disability. And it was more just when you went in and got tested, uh, they just said, okay, you have a learning disability. So with your learning disability, I've always kind of felt like, well, I mean, it's just reality that we only know what's going on in our own bodies, in our own minds. And maybe there's somebody listening that has a similar learning, uh, the same mm -hmm. learning disability, but they don't actually know what it is. Could you kind of elaborate on what it's, what the actual experience is like? Like, mm -hmm. what were you experiencing to actually recognize the, the disability? I had a great deal of difficulty with counting. That was definitely a big thing when I was young. I also confused my right from my left. And I lose the, the steps like in the process with doing math. Uh, there's also the, the memory of uh, trying to remember multiplication facts, division, uh, 
additions, all those things. It's, uh, I don't know all my, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you all the, <laughs> the, oh, the math. And also, but it goes beyond a classroom. I cannot tell time on the face of a clock. I can frequently confuse the, the, the right from the left, uh, directional concepts, east, south, north, and west. It can be hard for me to budget. I If I'm at the store, it's always a surprise of uh, how much we're spending. <laughs> And I just, I really struggle with a lot of those, uh, a lot of those concepts are really tough for me. And uh, some of that stuff just made a lot of sense after I was diagnosed with that. And I read, I read more on dyscalculia and I thought, oh, that's why I could never do certain things. Yeah. When I was preparing for the interview, I was just kind of thinking about Mm it, um, is there an issue with like visualization? Can you visualize things? Um, and like, if you start thinking, if if you go from visualizing just an object to visualizing multiple of those objects, is it just kind of hard to keep track of of that? I can visualize the op- the, the objects, but it's hard for me to keep track of that. And actually, it is easier for me if for example, if you, if I go to the store and you give me $20, I may not know what the exact total is going to be, but I can budget out a lot better with knowing, okay, I have 20 bucks to spend. I can see the dollars moving. I can see the, the coins if there's any. But if you give me a, a credit card or a debit card, that's more of an abstract concept. And I, I can't visualize the, um, the, the dollars and everything. Okay. I mean, that's a good excuse, too, if you just want to spend and not, you know, like, I don't know how much I spend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the what you pointed out with a smaller school with kind of getting picked on is interesting. I went to a, a smaller school when I was uh, younger, and there really is more of a. You know, I, I had times where I was bullied um, mm-hmm. for various reasons, like I, there were just some people in the class that were kind of mean and at one point I was in a school with 20 people in my class and there's you know probably around 10 10 boys in the class and Mm -hmm. there's always the more bully kind of boys in that group and Mm -hmm. uh, it is interesting how smaller schools you just can experience that more whereas a big school you can blend in get lost in the shuffle I guess and just yeah kind (laughs) of stay low key so um right was it a was it a private school you went to no it was a public school but just in a very small community and um i think i saw on one of the podcasts you did are you in pennsylvania is that right i am nice uh yes i am is that where you've always been that's where i've always been we're about an hour from pittsburgh awesome awesome um with your photography I noticed uh, flowers. You take pictures of flowers a bit. I love pictures of flowers, especially like close-ups where it's like you capture mm-hmm. the the little beauty and things. Um, so you you take most of those when you're on walks and stuff like that? Definitely. I take a lot of them when I'm on a walk and I'm not able to get a ride. Or uh, sometimes I can find a lot in our neighborhood. I can see things that, oh, every year this flower comes up around spring or fall or summer. And 
we all so I, I capture a lot of those things when I'm on a walk. Yeah. And I also take a lot of pictures. My husband and I love to go to botanical gardens and museums. And I always seem to find like flowers and a lot. Of, I just love being able to capture that beauty. Awesome. With, with writing, um, it is an, it is kind of interesting because a learning disability, a lot of the, the most common one that people probably think of is mm -hmm. dyslexia. I mean, there's, ADHD and autism and things like that. But as far right. as like a, an ability to like just process something specific, I think of dyslexia a lot. And I actually, I didn't even know about your disability until I started um, researching for this. And it apparently affects like five to 10% of the population. Have you ever heard mm -hmm. that? So have you met a lot of people with the exact same disability as you? I've met a lot of people online uh, through having that as an adult, but as a student, I can remember even my learning support classes, most of my student people that I was with, they struggle more with reading. Mm. And uh, sadly, a lot of them had some behavior issues too. And they came from some trauma backgrounds. And um, I've definitely met a lot of people with autism, but I have not met very many people in person that have dyscalculia. And it's the same numbers that we have as dyslexia and other types of learning disabilities. It's just oftentimes there's a stigma that can be attached to that, that, oh, everybody can learn math and everybody can do a lot of that. And that, oh, if you have a learning disability, you must not be able to read. And just sometimes that's not the case. Yeah, with you being a skilled writer that, probably mm -hmm. confuses people that that you have yeah. <laughs> that you struggle with math and then you can write well and um especially with uh dyslexia being the more common thing that people are familiar right. with um what do you feel like has helped you the most and what what are some things that have not helped you um some things that if somebody's going through the same thing that they should maybe try to avoid because mm -hmm. it just didn't work for you I think what has helped me is having encouragement and for people that I, I can remember if I was struggling in a math class at college, I had some wonderful friends and they could not help me with uh, being able to uh, with the class, but they could be my friend. And I think that that support was helpful and also resources, too, because a lot of times I have some great people in my life now that they'll say, hey, have you heard about this resource for, for that? Um, and sometimes that's uh, that's always been helpful. I also think that it's really helpful to, to, to have that support. My parents uh, never gave up on me and were always my biggest advocates. So I think that was always very helpful, having that and building on my strengths of the things that I am good at with reading and writing and photography because it's more empowering for me to think about the things I can do rather than things I can't. And as far as things that haven't helped me, uh, when I meet a lot of people that might say, well, if you really wanted to learn, you could, or they look at my handwriting that I struggle with as a character flaw or parts of my disability that I'm, I'm lazy or I'm unmotivated. And that doesn't help me, uh, be able to, uh, be, be successful. And also if people try to go, oh, well, I know this person that has that disability and they're cured. And I'm like, well, th that's great that that person has been able to find a way. 
but I haven't had a lot of success with that. And that's okay too. Um, so I think it's one of those things. And another way that hasn't been helpful too is a lot of people, because they can't see my disability, they think I don't have one. And they'll say, Oh, you don't have a disability. You you don't, I can't, you don't look like you have one. Or people will say, Well, other people have it worse with disabilities. So I, I think sometimes those kind of comments are, are really difficult. Mm. How do you deal with that when somebody well people want to relate and and sometimes when you have something that mm -hmm. I don't want to say puts distance between you and the other person but creates this thing that they don't understand there's there's this thing right. hanging in between you guys that the other person doesn't understand and they try to relate and they just they're way off and they make us an association like, oh, I, ha I know a person who has another disability. And it's like, yeah, that doesn't have anything to do with what I'm going through. How do you handle that? Um, does it interfere with relationships? Or like, do you find times when you have to explain to the other person that it's not helpful? Or do you just kind of let it be and brush it off? I think it depends on the situation. I think that some people that maybe don't know me, I might just be like, oh, <laughs> that I've, they obviously don't understand. And I've had to make my peace with that, that some people aren't going to understand and they're not going to know what that's like. And sometimes if I do know the person and they, they think, oh, you, you have a degree, you must be cured. I can sometimes gently just tell them, well, no, I'm not cured. I'm Yes, I have a degree, but I haven't been cured. And I think it just depends on the person. And I think it's also sometimes I, I try to think people mean well a lot of times. And it's just sometimes having that communication with just being like, uh, just telling people and, and focusing on educating others that uh, about what disabilities are. Yeah, I, I would agree. People mostly mean well, mm -hmm. I think, when they're... Yeah. They they just want to relate mm -hmm. and they, you know, right. things can be awkward. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> uh, if you have a death in a family or something like that and right. you have that, people try to relate to things like that and they yeah. often just kind of miss the point. And it's like, yeah, I had a death. I, I don't, you know, hearing about another death that happened a year ago or two years ago doesn't really right. help me with my situation and, and doesn't really comfort me, you know, but people try to relate in different ways. And I think they're well-meaning yeah. for the most part. Um, exactly. You talked about encouragement being helpful, but I remember seeing mm -hmm. on your blog, you mentioned toxic positivity. Can we, can we talk yes. about that a little bit? Um, why don't you explain what it is if you want, and then go okay. into some of your experience with that and how it hasn't been helpful so people can get a get a feel for that. I think toxic positivity is when pe that's a forced happiness that you're to have with something. And encouragement is when we can look for some, they're, they're totally different things. If you're going to encourage somebody, they can look at saying, wow, th this writing piece is really good. Ha and then also maybe pointing out, but you might want to change this, or you might want to have, have this, or, oh, you're struggling in a math class. 
you know, have you talked to, uh, maybe have you gotten some tutoring or have you talked to your professor? But I think a lot of times with toxic positivity, somebody might look at if I can remember I was struggling in a college level math class and I was doing everything. I was going to tutoring four times a week. I was still failing about every test. I was going to office hours and I was telling somebody about it. And they said, well, you just need to think positive and shoot for the moon. And if you miss, you'll land among the stars. And hearing that didn't really help me in that class because I was doing everything I could do. And you know, I think you can feel how you want about a situation. It's, it's your actions that matter. You can feel sad about things. You can feel angry at, at that. You can feel happy. But it's what you do with that, what you do with those emotions. And I think sometimes when you have toxic positivity, it's everybody is just supposed to be happy and that positive thinking is going to make everything work out. And things do work out, but sometimes it's not maybe how we want it to. And it's when you're forcing people that you have to be happy that a lot of times that the people may not want to share their experience or they may not want to talk about it because they're afraid that they're going to be shamed for feeling that way. Yeah. I'm assuming that you like reading quite a bit. Uh, yes, <laughs> definitely. Uh, there's this book, um, Bright Sided by Barbara. Oh. Barbara Ehrenreich. Um, hopefully I said that uh -huh. right. I read it a few years ago. It's How Positive Thinking is Undermining America. It's been a few years, so I, I can't remember everything in the book at this point, but it was a very enlightening mm -hmm. book. It, it touches on a lot of things, and uh, she focuses a bit on corporate America and how you know we're supposed mm -hmm. to keep these positive attitudes and um, not complain and everything like that. And it's it really is toxic. I mean, toxic really is the right word for it yeah. because, like, mm -hmm. sometimes you need to complain. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes, like, things are challenging, and you want to vent, right. and you, it is, um, it's invalidating mm -hmm. for somebody to see. No, you just need to look at it differently, and it's like, sure, sometimes, like, your mindset can improve about things, but sometimes, yeah, you need to. Just live in the negativity for a moment, like release that negativity. Right. And if you just, I don't know, you kind of bury it inside and you don't get to release it. Like you said, you feel, it makes you feel uncomfortable because you can't, you feel like you can't mm -hmm. be authentic, really. Right? Yeah, exactly. You can't be authentic about how you feel. And I can remember I was telling this person, well, if you fail at every single test that, that you took, how, how happy do you think you would be? And, oh, I know some people might be might be more positive about that. <laughs> and I, I'm like, well, maybe somebody would be, but I know for me that wasn't it. And yeah, it does. That wasn't helpful. And the person meant well, I mean, definitely. But I think, yeah, and there's that shame and that you, sometimes you do need to vent, but also in a helpful way, too. I think it's important that, you know, in the context of maybe talking to a friend 
or maybe writing about it. I, I know writing about it is really helpful for me to be able to process how I'm feeling because I feel like I have a voice in that. And also exercise is great too. Sometimes yeah. I'll just go and you take out that frustration on the treadmill or the elliptical <laughs> and, and that helps too. Yeah. When it comes to your writing, uh, at first you weren't writing about your mm-hmm. learning disability and over time you started to be able to write uh, write about that more. Can you walk us through that transition? I mean, that's that's a very vulnerable thing to write about, um, mm-hmm. especially in a blog, especially something that you're just releasing out there for the public. How'd you get over that hurdle of, that mental hurdle of bringing yourself to be able to do that? And And what have you seen happen as a result? I think what got me over the hurdle was I started sharing my story in writers groups when I, uh, and also at open mics and people were wanting to hear the story and it wasn't, Oh, you know, Oh, we don't want to hear about that. So I think it was that encouragement that I got from a lot of audience members because a lot of people said, Oh, I have a learning disability too, or I know somebody that has one and they understood that. And I just went ahead and, I was a little nervous, but I just decided, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do it afraid. How long ago was it that you decided that you started to be more open about it and write about it? That would be about six years ago. I started, that's when I had the, I think the first article published. I I believe it was five or six years ago. Have, has anything have you experienced anything that you felt was negative from that? And what were what were the more positive things? Obviously, people connecting with you over, you know, similar experiences and I'd imagine helping people right. um, relate and, and be more open themselves is always a positive experience. Definitely. It's been more positive experience than a negative one. I can remember, I mean, certain times people may not always agree and that's okay. I, I can remember when I wrote an article that I'm not lucky that I can't drive. And I had a lot of people saying, well, of course you can drive. You're just afraid to drive. And I was explaining, no, there there is a reason why I'm not. And sometimes you get people that that uh, make strange comments and I it's usually like, oh, okay, if I have, and that's always the article that gets uh, also a lot, of, if it gets a lot of likes, sometimes it's the one they also can get some strange comments that you're like, oh, okay. Uh, but I think the greatest thing is, is when I get people that say, I have that too. And I never, I thought I was the only one. And after I read this, I realize I'm not allowed. And it's that connecting with other people and it's sharing resources and it's just sharing that connection that uh, there are other people that do have uh, dyscalculia and other types of learning disabilities that I, that I have. And that's always a positive thing. What's your, how do you feel about social media um, as far as it being able to help you connect with people? Like, in my opinion, social media is a double-edged sword. And I, I think a lot of people would agree with that. Like, there's a lot of toxicity that comes along with mm-hmm. it. Um, one of the things is like comparing yourself to others and, and of course, wasting your time. And um, you have all these social media sites 
competing for your attention, but I'd imagine mm-hmm. with social media, it helps you connect with people that don't want to, that aren't quick to, I mean, there's plenty of people working, walking around with disabilities that they're not right. carrying signs that say, I have this disability. They're right. quietly holding that and they don't want to announce it in uncomfortable spaces. So I'd imagine social media has, and, and the internet in general has been a great tool for connecting with people that have uh, mm-hmm. the same dis- learning disability and similar experiences. So can you kind of walk in to walk us through your experience with social media, how you feel about it? Sure. I came into social media later. I originally wasn't a fan, but then I thought, okay, I'm going to go in. And I think it's how you use the tool. I have friends that are online that I've met that definitely have disabilities. And I think that's been really helpful to be able to talk with other people that share the, the, the same disability that I do. And I also know to go in it with being careful, especially, I mean, I don't have to post every single thing about my life. I do post a lot, though, with places that we've gone. And not that I want to be into toxic positivity, but I do try to put things on there that are happy. And and as far as sharing things that I do struggle with, um, people in my life that I know in real life sometimes are the ones who know that. My family, my friends. Uh, my husband definitely. And there are parts of our lives that we don't share on there. And there's things that uh, we try not to, uh, that we struggle with or certain people. I try not to put that on there because uh, I think that there is those boundaries that you have to have. But I've had a very positive experience with people that I know and um, people that I've had that I wouldn't have had that chance to meet. And being able to share my story is is also definitely something that I wouldn't be able to do if I didn't uh, do a lot of social media. This is something that I I struggle with. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm a very self-conscious person when it comes to mm-hmm. Uh, being judged by people I know and Mm -hmm. I'm I've slowly been trying to be more open and vulnerable and authentic uh, in the podcast I actually don't care too much about what people that don't know me think about me like if they're just somebody I don't know but the people Mm -hmm. I know I've been more reluctant to like say hey I'm doing a podcast and um, I'm getting better about it how have people you knew prior to you creating the blog and and being more open about everything how have they responded to you um and yeah how, how have they responded and what's your experience been there most people that i've uh that know me have been uh very happy very proud uh have been some of my greatest supporters that, that have done that and I yeah, I've had a, a really great experience with uh, family and with friends and things uh, of that nature. So most of them are happy that I'm sharing my story and I'm in a good place with having a disability. And that wasn't always the case for me. I, I there was a time whenever I wasn't sharing about it and I focused. I was really negative, and I think that a lot of people who who know me since the 
the beginning with this are, are really happy with uh, me sharing my story and, and support that. When you were feeling more negative, what got you through those times? Like what helps you when you're, when you're struggling, when you're not feeling so positive, what, what helps you the most? I think writing was a big, was a big factor, just writing how I felt that that was my voice. That was the, the my journal uh, doesn't judge me. I might judge myself or other people might have, but I was able to have that voice that I couldn't always have. And I, I know the support of the family and my friends were big on that too, because I knew that, um, you know, I, I could go out and I could be with my friends and we could talk a little bit about things that were bothering me, but we also did a lot of fun things too. And just kind of having that little time to just kind of relax and enjoy and just kind of forget about a little bit as much as possible. Uh, th that was definitely uh, a help as well. When you're writing, do you, do you write directly onto the blog or do you write in something else and post it on the blog later? Like, is there sometimes a delay between what you write and what you actually post? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I go right on the blog and do that. And other times I will uh, take my journal and just write some ideas and still sketch things on paper. I mean, people can't read my handwriting and sometimes I can't, but uh, sometimes that happens. And then some, and I'll just transfer that over to the blog and I'll do all the spelling and all the editing. And my husband's my favorite editor. He has an English degree. So sometimes it's really nice to have him uh, read that over as well. But yeah, it's a mixture of both. Yeah. Earlier, you mentioned um, every once in a while you'd have a professor that didn't get the memo with, with regard to mm -hmm. your learning disability. When you said that, do you mean like were they skeptical or or what was it? Uh -huh. I've had some professors that I can remember saying, oh, you're not going to need your disability services on campus. You're going to pass this or... <laughs> or, oh, wait a minute, how could you uh, not not do well with this class or, or something? And uh, sometimes they were skeptical because they they couldn't see the disability and they, they didn't take a lot of that seriously or the accommodations. And that, that, that could be really difficult. Yeah, it's funny how when people can't see something, when it's not obvious to them, mm -hmm. they're, they tend to be more skeptical, especially if you actually end up doing well um right were did you ever experience other students kind of being envious of you know you have more time for a test and they think that oh you just get more time for a test and they don't realize that well it's because i'm struggling to do it as fast as you even though you might get a better grade than them I have had students that, that have been envious. I can remember I overheard a conversation in one of the classes that um, was even about disabilities. And they were saying, oh, well, I wish I had a learning disability so I could get extra test time. And the thing was, I wish I didn't have a disability. So I wish I could just go in, take the test and be able to do well. And sometimes even with the extra test time, I still didn't do well on it. It just, it uh, was just something that I needed to have uh, as a proof. Okay. We're trying to do this. We're, we're doing that. And sometimes it worked too. It just really depended on uh, my brain that day. And one of the most powerful things was my tutor in my math class 
had uh, ADHD. And he was registered with the Office for Students with Disabilities too. And one day I was taking a test and he, he was in the testing room too, uh, getting extended test time as well. And just seeing that was really powerful for me that this person is able to help me or is trying to help me with the class I'm struggling in. And he has some struggles himself as well. Yeah. So, so just having somebody, seeing somebody else going through that, that really made mm-hmm. a big difference for you? Definitely. Did you have to confront anyone regarding that envy? That I mean, it, first of all, that's a really weird comment for somebody to make that they wish <laughs> they had a learning disability for the accommodation that you can get alongside of it. Um, because it's obvious, it's something that's necessary. Right. I confronted people. I mean, there was people making comments, oh, they get test time. And I'm like, well, you don't know what my life is like. And they, they're very blind to the, the, the fact because it's not their experience. So sometimes I even had someone a couple of years ago saying that using a calculator in a class is, in a math class is cheating. And I found sometimes it's just better that they can think what they want to think and just to save myself that time and that frustration because until somebody goes through this, they, they're they not going to understand. And that's okay that, that, that they don't. And it's also all right for me to use the accommodations and to do what I need to do uh, to help with my disability. Yeah, I was when I was reading for this, something said that sometimes even with a calculator, math can be hard like the calculator doesn't yep. really solve all the issues um it that's kind of hard for me to understand and it's probably hard <laughs> for a lot of people to understand could you elaborate on on what's going on there sure i have been in math classes where we had calculator usage that has always been one of the things that's always been an accommodation for me but even with using a calculator, I can put the numbers in, but if I miss a step or I put the wrong number in or I don't understand how the problem works and my brain gets that confused, I can still get the wrong answer. And I and I certainly cannot show my work on how I got it. And it's just, I'm, I'm confused and it doesn't really do a whole lot of benefit for me. Hmm. Would you be able to go and describe the difficulty with driving a little bit um because so this is the way i'm kind of thinking about it like you can you can read well so like you right there's some and i'm like i'm not a psychologist or anything so i (laughs) i don't know if i'll use the right words but there you're there's some spatial navigation there with reading i'd imagine um is it the moving and so what exactly is it there? Well, whenever I was de- definitely young, we knew I had some visual perception, not in the eyes, but within the brain. And um, gym class was a nightmare. Anytime an object will come to my eyes, I'll flinch. Mm. And I struggle with coordinating my body. And I still do this to this day. <laughs> and a lot of people don't understand um, why I can bump into people. I can trip over air. And... Um, that can be really hard for people to really uh, understand that. 
And the lack of personal space can be hard. I, I don't know. Uh, sometimes, oh, I'm moving my body and I might be getting too close to somebody or I'm too far away. And um, it's not because I have autism. It's just my body. Can, I mean, sometimes that can make a lot of people um, uncomfortable or I can trip over somebody. And we knew that that was going to be an issue. So my parents had me wait a year before we even attempted to get my license. I didn't go for a learner's permit when I was 16. Um, and what they did uh, the following year, rather than go for a learner's permit or study for the test, uh, we lived out in the country and we had a wide open field. And my parents gave me the riding lawnmower and said, I want you to mow the field for me. And instead of making beautiful, perfect straight lines, I ended up making circles. So mystery solved where crop circles come from because that, <laughs> we, we figured that out. <laughs> and then my mom and dad, have uh, they had me one day try to go up the long driveway to our house. And it was all fine and good until I almost crashed into the, into the garage door. And thankfully, my mom was in the car with me. And at that point, we knew that getting a driver's license evaluation was going to be the best course of action. And OVR paid for that. And they took me through all the tests. Uh, my vision was fine. I was able to know what to do if you get a flat tire. I knew all the responsibilities with a car. But when they came to the visual perception part of the, the test, I didn't pass that. And they said, with this this difficulty you have, we can't recommend that you get your license. And it was like a hundred pounds was lifted off my shoulders because I worried about, am I going to crash this car and hurt myself or am I going to hurt somebody else? And I knew that in my head that this just wasn't the best option for me. Is it, so is it the movement though? Um, like when you look around a room, like everything is where it is, right? And is it more when you're moving, like your your position relative to things is hard to keep track of? It, it could be like, I, I know where things are at, and it's just that reaction time can be delayed. And it can also be trying to know right my right from my left and trying to coordinate having the, the steering wheel, the pedals, and then watching everybody else on the road is really hard. And it's just that coordinating uh, everything together is very difficult. If there wasn't any cars on the road and it was just a straight, <laughs> a straight line, I probably couldn't do that. But uh, that, that's just very difficult when you have very poor um, visual perception and uh, things like that. From your, from being more vulnerable and writing about your learning disability, mm -hmm. is there anything that you've learned from, from writing about it or connecting with people that have similar experiences that you didn't know prior to being more open about everything? Mm -hmm. I have definitely had a lot of connections online with people that have similar learning disabilities and they can say, oh, I struggle with reading the face of a clock or I struggle with uh, not being able to drive or math was really hard for me to, or math is really hard for me as well. And I think it's that connection that we are able to, um, even if it's just virtually meet other people that have that same experience, that creates a connection and it makes people feel like they're not alone in this. What motivates you? Like, what keeps you motivated 
yeah, what keeps you motivated to keep doing everything? I, I definitely love to be able to help others that have disabilities. I think it's so rewarding when I work in school with students that have learning disabilities. And I work with sixth graders this year. And sometimes it's like hearing a recording of myself. I'll have somebody that'll say, I hate having my learning disability or I wish I didn't have it. And I'm like, and I get the chance to tell them, I have a learning disability and you're not stupid. Your brain is wired differently and it's not a bad thing to have a disability. And I get that chance to share my story. And I also get a chance to read tests to students. And somebody read a test to me a long time ago and that made all the difference. And just having that interaction and also with the writing, just connecting with other people and just being able to help somebody else that might be struggling. How do you feel or what do you feel are the best ways to uncover your talents, what you're good at? Um, I really like that you mentioned that you'd like to focus on what you're good at, not what you're not good at. And Mm -hmm. I I think that's a very important thing for everybody to do, whether you have a learning disability or not, actually, because everyone has their strengths and weaknesses. So for people in general and for people with a learning disability, how do you... Or what's your advice for people on how to uncover those things that you're good at? I would say give things a try and definitely not be able to, um, afraid to give things a try. Uh, there's really no harm in taking a class, maybe an art class or, um, and if it turns out that you're good at it and you love doing it, then you have a new talent or you have a new skill that you can go and, and do and use that as an expression. But if it doesn't work out, then that's not a big deal either. I mean, okay, that just does, maybe that's just not your cup of tea. But I think it's looking for that and thinking about the things you did whenever you might have been a kid that you really liked doing. Like I knew whenever I was little, I loved reading. I loved writing. Uh, My dad read to me when I was little and I was able to carry a lot of those interests uh, into my adulthood. And the photography, that was a surprise that came because I can remember everybody would tell me, oh, you have a learning disability. You must be really visual. You must be really good at art. And I couldn't draw a straight line and I would be frustrated. And I found that I can't take pictures and people encourage that. And I think it's paying attention to what people say that you're good at, but also what you like to do and what you gravitate towards. Your pictures are pretty, they're very high quality. Are you using like a DSLR, like a, like a very nice camera? I do have a nice camera, and I also, a lot of my pictures, though, have come from my iPad Mm. and my phone. With When you're using the nice camera, I I have an an all right Mm -hmm. camera, like a Canon 80D that I've used a little bit. It seems like there's some math involved in some aspects of photography. Um, Are there certain aspects of using a nice camera that are a struggle at all? sometimes to get things focused but I'm learning as I go and I probably am using math but I'm not uh, I'm able to apply it so I'm not thinking oh there's that angle I just know when I go in I, I'm able to take a picture and sometimes they don't turn out right or they don't turn out the, the way that I wanted and we just delete those but um, I'm able to just go in and take a photograph and be able to to make uh, that work what are some of your favorite things to photograph and what would you like to photograph that you haven't been able to? I would, de- I definitely love photographing butterflies and uh, nature. 
And I think things that I would love to photograph is I have places that I would love to go that we haven't gone yet, but they're definitely on our list of places that we would love to do different kinds of gardens, uh, different kinds of parks. Um, I just am always amazed when we go someplace new, uh, just the, the beauty that's out there. I feel I've tried to take a picture of several butterflies and I feel I, I cannot get a <laughs> clear picture of a butterfly at all. Um, any tips on that? It is a just something with patience. Yeah. Sometimes uh, you just have to go there and be very patient. I know that the neighbors next door planted blazing stars and the butterflies always come out around late July, <laughs> early August. And sometimes I'll see from the window, there's this butterfly and I'll go out there and the butterfly flies away. And you're frustrated and you think, I'm never going to get this butterfly. And you go out the next day and the same thing happens. But every once in a while, if you're really patient, you'll go there and you'll be able to observe them and you'll just start taking pictures and you'll, you'll get some really good shots of them. And it's just that patience when you deal with them yeah. and just, you know, that, that waiting, that going in and taking some shots and, um, you know, just, just going in and being patient. What are some pictures that you're most proud of? Like some, or is there anything that's been very hard to capture, like a rare moment that you're just particularly proud of that you were able to get it? I think one of the nicest things is I, I had a shot where I took of a, and we were in Pittsburgh and there was a, a rose on the lock on the bridge. And that was just the perfect moment that I was able to capture it. And that was one of the ones I was really proud of because it was just so ordinary. And, and I, and I was able to get that moment. And also the very first picture that I entered in a contest and it, they are going to publish it in a magazine coming up. And it was a picture of a cemetery angel. And that's what started my love for photography. I, we were at a family wedding and we were taking pictures in a graveyard and I took a picture of an angel and I had a friend that was very particular and said, wow, these are really good. And I entered it in the show and it got a, a nice award and it's going to be in a magazine coming up very soon. So I think that one is one of the other ones I'm most proud of. Did you take that with a particular camera or was that iPad or? That was, I think it was my iPad. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Or, my, or a phone. Nice. Is there anything that you haven't written about that you would like to write about in the future? I would definitely like to write more, I'd uh, like to write a children's book about dyscalculia because I, and um, definitely a memoir about it uh, because the, a lot of people aren't familiar with it. And I want to make that, especially with children, to be able to under, understand that, that uh, they, they can know that if they have a math disability, that this is real. And just so they can have a way to identify with it. Do you do you already have that kind of in the works? Like, have you already started on that? Yes, I I, I do. I just have to do some editing. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, did you say you you do a little bit of traveling before? Mm -hmm. Um, where would you yes. like to travel that you haven't been? We have. I have not traveled overseas, or I have not traveled outside the U.S. So definitely, some places with that would be nice. Uh, do you have anywhere specific that you'd want to go? 
I think we might do Canada for my birthday. Yeah, that it would be close enough to, to be able to do. Awesome. Uh, any specific part? I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> I think the only place in Canada I've been is uh, Niagara. Like right over, yes, right I, I think that's where we were thinking because we've been on the U.S. side enough, but we want to maybe do the uh, Canadian side. Awesome, that's awesome. Um, what words of encouragement would you give for for anyone who's just trying to figure out life in general? I I would tell people to know what they want and to be able to find a way to do it. And just to remember that success may not come in the package that you expect it, but sometimes it's often something even better. Are there any hobbies that you haven't explored yet? Like you have quite a few. Are there any things that you haven't explored yet that you'd want to or any experiences that you you maybe on a bucket list? Um, I definitely like the hobbies that I have, but I'm always like open to, to, to definitely things. I would love, we did Immersive Van Gogh a few years ago, and I would love to do the Monet one that um, we're hoping it comes nearby so we could experience that as well. What's what's Immersive Van Gogh? I'm not familiar. It's where you go and they like have all the uh, Van Gogh's paintings that became like on the projection screen. So you're just like surrounded in this room with all these images of the, the the paintings and this one will be Monet that they have and it's not immersive um it's a different I think it's called the Monet experience so um I would just love to do something similar with that as well nice you said you like reading uh what do you mm -hmm. like to read and what books would you recommend to people I have to read uh, Jodi Picoult. She's one of my favorites. I love My Sister's Keeper. That is one book that I definitely love. And I also read a lot of um, fiction, uh, psychological, like thrillers. I, I definitely love suspense stories. And yeah. Okay. Any any specific ones that you'd recommend? Um, like if you had one or two? I definitely like Freedom McFadden. That's definitely one of my favorite ones that I, I like a lot of her stories. Awesome. Well, Michelle, it's been amazing talking to you today. Before we wrap up, do you want to give the listeners a way to find your blog and mm -hmm. reach you anything you want to share too? Uh, you can find me. I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. And you can also find me at my blog, michellesmission.net. Awesome. Uh, any parting words before we wrap up? Just want to encourage people that um, have disabilities not to give up. Awesome. I love it. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Artie. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Thoughtfully Mindless. If our conversations resonate with you, consider leaving a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your streaming platform of choice. Your ratings help us grow and reach more listeners. Don't hesitate to spread the word about our podcast. It's one of the best ways you can support us. I'm always eager to hear from you. So find me on Twitter at TMConvos or follow us on Instagram at ThoughtfullyMindless for a peek behind the scenes and more thoughtful content. And if you're looking for additional ways to support the show, visit FractalZoo.net where you can find exclusive t-shirts and apparel. Each purchase contributes directly to the podcast and allows us to keep bringing you content that matters. 
Thank you once again for lending us your ears. Until next time, stay thoughtfully mindless.